the third hour of the program. Hello and welcome. Um, I'm going to do something that uh, maybe perhaps I shouldn't do necessarily explicitly uh, so much anymore since I'm a national show, but I'm still I'm fascinated by the whole Georgia political landscape. The, the eyes of the nation are on it. I've had so many national reporters come down to Georgia and interview me. I had a guy from the London Guardian the other day uh come interview me about what's happening in Georgia. And I know I hear from people all over the country who tell me all the time they're listening. They're like, it's okay. This is the center of the political universe. You can talk about it. So I'm going to talk about it for just a moment. Uh, The lay of the landscape in Georgia right now is uh, Herschel Walker is still dominating on the Republican side. Now, Gary Black, the ag commissioner of the state, is going to join me on air in this hour On Monday, I've had all of the candidates, Republican candidates for the Senate, on air with me for an hour. Gary Black will be with me on Monday uh, here in studio. Herschel Walker has not accepted. He doesn't, frankly, need to accept. He is above the runoff margin. Georgia has a runoff. you got to get 50% plus one vote to avoid a runoff. Uh, Gary Black, uh, Latham Sadler, Kelvin King, Josh Clark, they're all running trying to get Herschel Walker down to less than 50%, and they hadn't done it yet. Uh, But he's trending down from 80% down to like 58 56%. I don't know that they can do it. Maybe a fool's errand, but they're trying. Herschel doesn't need to spend time on radio with me for an hour talking about his life um, because people kind of know him already. I've invited him, by the way, and accepted the invite. Um, I am worried, and national Republicans are publicly very boastful about Herschel Walker's chances. They view this kind of like 1980 with the accidental senators. You just sweep into power, sweep into office, no matter the quality of the candidate because the Democrats are so unpopular. It's possible. It really is. He, he And mo- every poll except one has had Herschel Walker beating Raphael Warnock. Raphael Warnock is on defensive already in Georgia, running advertisements saying, hey, I, I didn't say I could fix Rome in a day. Don't hold that against me. We'll see. Um, but I'm actually more interested in the gubernatorial race in Georgia. There is a poll out from Insider Advantage that has David Perdue at 38%. It still has Brian Kemp over 50%. I suspect uh, the, the the Purdue team is pushing this poll out, claiming there's momentum for him. Please send money. I don't actually think that's the case. I think this poll is somewhat of an anomaly. They claim that in a tracking poll, they've got Kemp at 51%. I spent yesterday after this polling started getting pushed out by the Purdue team spent my time talking to pollsters. I talked to the Kemp team. I talked to several other candidates who are running tracking polling. Tracking polling is detailed data polling that's done on a daily basis or every other day to try to get a sense of of how the race is changing. They do it in the last couple of weeks of a campaign to see if there are any trends, what's causing the trend lines. Uh, I've talked to a couple of outside groups. I've talked to a couple of campaigns. I've talked to the Kemp team's own pollster. No one is seeing a surge from David Perdue other than this one poll. In fact, uh, one outside group that I've talked to says they have actually seen a Kemp surge in the last two weeks that Purdue surged three weeks ago. Purdue had a big blip three weeks ago uh, as as Trump was giving him a lot of attention, uh, and then it has receded and, and Kemp has gone back up. 
What I am told by all of these pollsters is they all have Kemp in the 60% range. Ironically, the pollster who has Kemp uh, less than 60 is is the, the one closest to the team. And even that one is is well above 50%. The outside pollsters have him, have him high. Uh, and no one has Purdue really above about 30 to 32% other than this, this one insider advantage Fox 5 Atlanta poll. I don't believe it. Uh, the, the detailed polling from these outside groups who are paying attention to this race tend to be more accurate. They have a larger pool of people. They do more detailed polling of individuals. It's not online. It's by phone of individuals across section of people, cell phones and landline phones. And uh, the pollsters are highly reputable people for even these outside groups. The outside groups are monitoring it. One, because if they think Kemp is fading, they come in with a lot of money. The others, because they're trying to get a real lay of the landscape for this general election and how the general election is going to shape up because they want to stop Abrams. What I'm told by uh, several of the pollsters, one in particular, is that it's not even the cultural issues that are resonating. It's not Brian Kemp and guns. It's not Brian Kemp and transgender sports or the pro-life issue. It is the economy, and it is crime, and it is kids not being locked down and shut out of school for so long. Um. It, Brian Kemp is getting a lot of credit from suburban women who aren't necessarily Republican for making sure that schools were not shut down for longer than they needed to be over COVID, like in some other states. There was not a lot of remote learning, and he reopened the economy quicker, and they also like his aggressive handling of the Atlanta crime situation. When the mayor of Atlanta went after the police, Kemp sent in state law enforcement to help supplement and and take over. And it helped. They're deeply, the suburban women are deeply worried about the Atlanta spillover crime. They don't blame Kemp. They actually praise him, according to these pollsters. The cultural issues are at the periphery. They're, they're the, the issues that reaffirm they're back in the right horse. This race is over in more ways than one, and you can tell part of it is with money. Now, I, I was, I've been in, in hotels the last couple of days, and I've seen a lot of the evening news. There's a TV channel in Atlanta, WSB-TV. My flagship radio station is WSB Radio. It is the, the sibling of WSB-TV. WSB-TV is one of the, it is, I think, the most watched ABC affiliate in the country, and it's the biggest of the TV stations in the Southeast. It is the most watched. Their evening newscast is the most watched newscast in the Southeast United States. And I saw a Kemp ad in every commercial break. I never saw a Purdue ad. I saw a Democrat ad for the Democrats. Saw Herschel Warnock ad. I never saw a Purdue ad. The fact that David Purdue isn't spending that money is is in and of itself super telling. Uh, The Purdue team has reserved ad time. They have not actually placed their ad buys. They're not spending that money. The Stacey Abrams campaign has begun targeting Brian Kemp in their advertising. Stacey Abrams would not be targeting Brian Kemp right now if she didn't think Kemp was going to win the primary without a runoff. The Kemp team, they're running some, they're finishing out their anti-Purdue ads, but they've pivoted now to attacking Stacey Abrams. They would not be on a general election footing if they thought they were getting into a runoff. The Purdue team is behaving as if they've lost the Kemp team is behaving as if they've won. 
The Abrams team is behaving as if their polling shows Kemp has won. The outside groups who would come in for Purdue are not coming in for Purdue, which suggests they've decided there's no reason spending that money anymore. The Kemp outside team is not coming in spending money, which suggests they don't want to waste their money. They're going to save it for the general. This is a Brian Kemp election. Now, something could radically change in the next 10 days before the the actual primary. I I guess you've actually got 13 days left. Before the actual primaries on on May 24th, but early voting has started. But again, I've talked now to, to five, six pollsters in the last 24 hours who are doing polling, some of it detailed tracking polling, some of it campaign style tracking polling, some of it just general polling as to who are you voting for. And they all have Candace Taylor, one of the Republican candidates, around five to six percent. All of them do. All of them have. Um, Purdue around 30 to 32 percent. Some of them have him in the 20s. And they've all got every single one of them has Kemp. The lowest for Kemp is 54 percent. Most of them have him at 60 percent. In fact, every single pollster I have talked to, every single pollster I have talked to has Kemp now doing better than Herschel Walker. Which is pretty interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, when you look at how all the candidates are operating, it looks like Brian Kemp has this thing. So, um, things can change. We're not at the election yet. You still got 13 days, but, uh, this race with early voting and all, I'm, it looks like Kemp is definitely winning early voting based on who's turning out. And in the major media markets of the state of Georgia, Atlanta being the biggest, but also you've got Augusta, Savannah, Albany, Macon, Valdosta, Columbus, Muskogee County areas. Those are all metropolitan areas, their own media markets. They're in David Perdue isn't on the air. He's not on the airwaves. Uh, he's not. He doesn't have door-to-door operators getting out the vote either. So he's not on the air and he doesn't have a door-to-door operator. Now, maybe in some parts of the state he does, but I'm in middle Georgia in a very Republican area of middle Georgia, and the Kemp team has come through. An outside group on behalf of the Kemp team has come through. The Democrats have come through, and um, I don't see that they're they're doing it. I, I don't see that there's a ground game for Purdue. We haven't had door knockers at our house. Um, I just, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he can pull this off. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, And then also there's um, in the 6th Congressional District in Georgia, very cool candidate running. He will be a nationwide um, profiled Republican if he gets elected. Rich McCormick, he's a friend of mine. He's a Marine. He's an ER doctor. It looks like he may be able to get out of his race without a runoff, given the polling I've seen there. Uh, I hope so. If you're in the 6th Congressional District in Georgia, uh, vote for Rich McCormick. They're good people, and I don't want to bash any of them. I like them all, but... Rich is a friend, and he is just a a wonderful human being, a devout Christian, a Marine, an ER doctor, uh, went to a a historically black college and became the head of his class, even though he's a white doctor, uh, because he's so well-liked. He's just such a nice guy, incredibly compelling story, and I would love to see that guy in Congress. If he gets the primary, he's probably going to – he will more than likely be in Congress, and my gosh, he'll be a champion in Congress. Uh, Okay, I'm going to go on and take a – commercial timeout. We got some folks on the phones I want to get to when we come back. We got other stuff to talk about as well. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425. I am going to jump back to Michael, who has an excellent question here. Welcome to the program, Michael. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. How are you doing? Great. What's going on? Uh, uh, well, my, my uh, question, my caller question was, um, 
if we open up the uh, country to oil and <clears throat> natural gas exploration, how how dramatic and how quickly would uh, it have an effect on inflation? <clears throat> and uh, kind of a related question that I would like to ask is, <clears throat> if Biden's uh, policies for new Green Deal, so, uh, solar, wind, electric are so great, why is he going around begging Iran and Saudi Arabia and Venezuela for increased oil production? Isn't that pretty much counterintuitive <laughs> to what he's yes. supposedly yeah, it is. I'll turn off listen. Thank you very okay. much. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Biden essentially he doesn't want us to boost domestic production. He doesn't want to incentivize the American fossil fuel industry further than is already there. So he wants other countries to increase production so we don't have to invest in increased production. Now, I will tell you, on the issue of inflation, I think it would take a little while. But on on general prices like price at the pump, it would come more immediately with the price of a barrel of oil. I, if they were to announce tomorrow a rapid ramp up in production, it would immediately have a uh, impact on the price of a barrel of oil. How do I know this? Several factors. One, just a few months ago when Biden released all of that oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, it immediately dropped the price of a barrel of oil. Because remember, it's a futures market. It responds to future supply. And because Biden's release of oil uh, would impact future supply, the price of a barrel of oil went down. Now, a the gas price at the pump did not go immediately down. That took a few more weeks, but it began to happen. Back in 2008, George W. Bush announced the immediate expansion of leases in the Gulf of Mexico for oil drilling. Gas prices had skyrocketed. Uh, not not what they were right now, by the way. Actually, no, I take that back. At one point, they were higher than the highest they've been so far. Um, but then they, they fell pretty quickly, and they fell pretty quickly because George W. Bush announced this expansion. And gas prices cratered within 24 hours of Bush announcing it. Oil, I'm sure I shouldn't say gas prices. The price of a barrel of oil cratered. The price of a barrel of oil was down more than 50%. Within two months, even though not a single well had been drilled, not a single new platform had been built. Why? Because by incentivizing the production, by the way, it's an incentivized production that Barack Obama kept. It allowed the price, the oil futures market to understand more supply would be coming online. When Biden got into the White House, he canceled offshore drilling leases, and he canceled exploration of the Arctic National Wildlife Reserve. In doing both things, he has curtailed production. But it's more than that, too. I hate to use the word holistic. My gosh, for reasons that I need not get into right now, I don't have time. But holistically— Biden has declared war on the entire operation, market, supply, and means of production and and distribution of oil and gas in this country. And when the leader of the free world goes to war with your industry, your industry responds by reducing investment. Why invest in a market the president has decided is going to kill? It's a no-brainer. That's what the Biden administration has done with oil and natural gas. They have said, we're going to war with you. Uh, we're going to injure industry. We're going to get people off of oil and gas. 
it's not realistic. We can't because there's so much out there uh, that oil and natural gas supplies, not just energy and, and fuel for our cars, but there are lots of petroleum-based plastic products and rubber products out there that you've got to have petroleum for. And, and they seem absolutely clueless in all of this. They just think it's about the price of gas in your car or gas in your car. It's not. It's so much more. And it's in one ear out the other when you try to explain it to them. So it's it's remarkable to me that they've declared war on this industry and driven up prices. And it, it, when we say these energy prices are there, it's not just energy. Keep in mind, it's plastics, it's rubber products in some cases. It's a whole lot of products that depend on uh, oil and petroleum products. And they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand it. I, I And you know what? I think they actually do. They just don't care because they really do believe they've bought into the we, we've got – 10 years or less to save the planet. Therefore, we must do this stuff. Unfortunately, that's where we are as a nation. And unless we get a president who is not hostile to fossil fuels, eh, these costs are going to keep going up. And again, when he released, when Biden released the Strategic Petroleum Reserve a few weeks ago, oil prices immediately went down. When George W. Bush expanded leases without a single lease being taken without a single hole being drilled into the earth's crust just by announcing they were going to expand it. Prices went down. You want to stop inflation. Don't just raise interest rates. Produce more oil. Now, it's hard right now because there's a steel shortage and they need that for the the drilling operators. They need it for the platforms. Uh, Maintenance is behind. There's a manpower shortage. There are lots of other problems at stake here. There's a manpower shortage, a steel shortage, a part shortage, all these sorts of things. But ultimately, if you announce the ability to produce, if you declare a ceasefire in the war against fossil fuels, prices immediately start going down. Inflation immediately starts resolving itself. We as a nation immediately start recovering. And the Biden team won't do what is so obvious, what is so necessary, because they are absolutely fundamentally in the camp that we have to get away from it to save the planet. We're not going to save people or save America. We're going to save a planet without people is what we're doing uh, because their policies are going to ruin humanity and bankrupt us all, ruin our economies and starve a lot of people because they're putting idols above mankind. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. The Eric Erickson Show across the nation from Atlanta, Georgia. The phone number 877-973-7425. Just real quick again, because I got an email uh, during commercial break. Uh, my wife's scans were good. Thank you very much uh, for the prayers. Uh, prayers appreciated on my end. I've got a really big meeting. I'm not going to be here tomorrow. Got a big meeting uh, and I got to head towards... New York City, New York City, uh, to have a meeting tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday, and then a weekend fishing trip. You know, we are probably like many of you. If you've got kids in school, uh, headed doing all of our summer planning, and now you know summer camps. One of the things I think that you may not appreciate if you're if you don't have kids in schools right now. The competition for good colleges, and I'm not talking about the woke stuff and all of that, just in general, competition for colleges now has gotten really competitive, particularly for boys. Uh, they're, they're willing to give a leg up for girls still, just uh, particularly in engineering schools. And, and I say this uh, a little bit. My 
13. First of all, uh, I'm going to use this section of my program to be a proud dad for a minute. Uh, my 13-year-old started this semester with um, an F in pre-algebra in seventh grade. And that's just unacceptable because I, I didn't know how well he could do, but I knew he could do okay if he put his mind to it. And that kid started getting up every morning at 630. His, his math teacher has an open-door policy before school. Anybody can come in uh, four days a week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and spend time with her. That kid started getting up every day at 630. Uh, out of the house by 7, so he was at school by 7.10, 7.15, so he had 30 minutes with that teacher to review his work, review his things he didn't get right, do extra work, uh, and he will end the school year with an A in pre-algebra, brought all of his grades up. I am just tremendously proud dad moment because I knew he could do it, and we didn't want to be strict disciplinarians. We're kind of lax in our house. The kids are good. But it was just nice to see him put in the effort, put in the time, uh, and and take the time to be consistent and diligent. He's so proud of himself right now. He texted me last night. I've been out of town and, and I've got to be out of town all week. And he's so proud of me right now, and I am so proud of him. And then our 16-year-old is actually really good in math. Uh, she actually called me. I shouldn't tell this story. She called me yesterday. I was at the hospital with Christy for her scans. Absolute meltdown. She had an 89 in a class, and it was her lowest grade, and she was so upset. She had miscalculated something uh, and and figured a grade wrong and wound up getting an 89, and, and I was like, look, I love you. <laughs> it's an 89. I'm really proud of you, uh, but go talk to your teacher. She went and talked to the teacher, and, and the teacher actually wound up um, having a quiz that she had forgotten uh, when Evelyn was out sick and, and had graded and it brought her up into a territory. She was furious at the thought of having a B. But it, it's so competitive these days for kids uh, to get into schools. And so we're trying to plan out our summer. Christy and I are kind of committed. Um, if if radio really takes off and I can I can do more syndicated sh uh, stations, pick up more affiliates and income goes up, we got to be more mindful of more trips. Largely, I mean, honestly, because of her health situation. She wants to build memories with the kids. At, at some point, the pill will stop working, and we're going to have a problem. And we know this. We It doesn't. It hangs over our head around the scan times. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a real incentive to want to grow my show, to increase the income, uh, expand the affiliates and the ads uh, so that I can take more memorable trips uh, here and abroad with my family in ways we can't right now. But we're having to plan that around all the school stuff and the summer camps. And, and we have a kid who wants to go to Georgia Tech, and Georgia Tech wants to see that you've got a real interest in it. So we're enrolling her in a summer camp for Georgia Tech. We're thinking of enrolling our son in a golf or soccer camp this summer and trying to juggle all the stuff in the summer for your kids to give them some level of a leg up. And, and I see where progressives say, well, then this isn't very fair with in other situations because what about all these kids who can and, and parents who can't yeah it, it, it does suck for them but i don't know that we needed some sort of government program in that regard we're always going to have these situations we're very fortunate where my wife stays home and i do all the working she does all the child raising largely i, I can be a bad dad and husband sometimes
I mean, just I'm being brutally honest, critical of myself. I'm such a workaholic. I, I, I could be here at this microphone all day with you guys and neglect my family. And I could. And I, it sounds horrible for me to say it. I love my job so much. But I do love my family, and I'm, I'm glad that I can work as hard as I do and, and be able to provide for my family so my wife can do these other things. But, I mean, where do we take trips and then vacation days for me to, to leave work? And, and will I need to take my radio equipment to be able to do my show? And, and all this is just it's, it's these dynamics you have as a family when you have kids in school. And college is on the horizon. What do you do to pay for college? We didn't have a college. We don't have a college fund for the kids. I just kind of thought I'm going to pour all the money I have into growing my business and grow my income through growing my business. And I'll be able to take care of it. And it looks like we're, we're in the right direction there. But you start to stress out about these things with your kids. And I've got older friends of mine who have grandkids now, and they're going through this in some cases their kids are going through it. Their kids are where my where I am with my wife, or or they've got grandkids, and and the levels of competitive stresses where, particularly for those of us who are frankly upper income or upper middle class white people with college degrees, you want your kid to have a college degree, but you're also more and more mindful that you don't have to have a college degree to do well in America these days. In fact. Uh, I played that clip the other day. There's no reason to play it again. But Paul Begala talking about we need more mechanics, less MBAs in this country. He's not wrong. We we do need more workers in this country who have industrious skills for electricity and plumbing and woodworking and things like that. I know a guy who um, is a woodworker and a carp. He's a really good carpenter, uh, and he is a preacher on the weekends and works with wood as a carpenter during the week to cover the cost of his family. The church doesn't pay him, and he does amazing work, and just his work is so good. He's kind of caught on and has gotten popular with people, and he's able to make a real good living for his family by doing stuff like that. And I, I'm jealous of my friends who can do woodworking. I've got a buddy of mine who works at Georgia Power who might be listening right now who just does this all, all sorts of elaborate woodwork. I am not handy with my hands like that at all. Uh, I would probably saw off my hand by accident. I'm just amazed by it. Now, I actually wasn't going to talk about this now, but uh, there you have it. I want to just real quickly spend a moment on another subject. Tim Alberta has a piece in The Atlantic, and it's about how the evangelical movement in the country, particularly among churches, is dividing politically. And he noted that a lot of conservative evangelical churches are having congregants leave the church because the pastor's not talking politics enough and they're moving to more politically oriented, hyper-conservative churches that are affiliated with the Republican Party. I And you know, one of my frustrations with his piece is he talks about the split within the United Methodist Church. Now, I'm in Atlanta. Wherever you're listening, I'm, I'm in Atlanta. And I've seen what's happening in Atlanta with the UMC, the United Methodist Church, and it has nothing to do with Trump and Trumpism. Uh, there is a cultural fight within the United Methodist Church where African congregations helped the American conservative congregations within the Methodist Church uh, adhere to biblical sexual orthodoxy. And the white progressives in the Methodist Church in the United States wanted to get away from it. And they were bound by this vote. And in the two years since COVID happened and they haven't been meeting, what's been happening is the upper leadership in the American church, 
tends to be uh, more liberal, and they've been pushing conservative pastors out of Methodist pulpits and taking over churches. I, I interviewed a lady uh, who was the minister of a church in Atlanta who had a conservative congregation with a nice private school and uh, well-educated kids. They had opened it up to the poor, et cetera, and it's, um, it's remarkable to me how these churches committed to the gospel but also conservative are being bullied by the leadership within the American UMC. And that's not a split over politics related to Trump. It's a split over biblical orthodoxy. And I think you got to be real careful here with this. I personally don't want to go to a church where the preacher is talking vaccines and, and politics and Trump. Uh, I want to go to a church that uh, they use expository preaching and they work through books of the Bible and teach us to better understand the gospel and to understand scripture and not politics. Because I got to tell you, Jesus wouldn't be a Republican. He wouldn't be a Democrat. He, he wouldn't be in politics. He'd be speaking to everybody and calling out all their sin. And one of the concerns I have with conservatives these days in churches is that they want to vilify the Democratic Party and as a result keep their mouth shut about sins within the Republican Party, which itself is a group of sinners. I mean, you you, you got to be mindful of the fact that if you pick a partisan side as a Christian, uh, you have the tendency to go partisan tribal. And I get shot at all the time, metaphorically, by people on my own side who think I should only hold the other side accountable. But I'm not going to do that. If we don't clean up our own side, the other sides and the voters are going to do it. But bigger than that, more importantly than that, there is a spiritual issue involved, particularly for those of us who are of faith. And we're not supposed to be so grounded in the politics of the day that we lose sight of the bigger picture. We turn out not to have been saved. Uh, we're looking for politics and politicians to save us. No politician is going to save you from the world. They're all part of the world. And you don't want to be part of the world. The things of the world don't love the things of God. And I am afraid that uh, there is a movement within evangelicalism that is trying to drag partisan politics into the church. I know people who left my own church because we have a pastor at our church who is a conservative pastor who has three black children. He's white. He and his wife have adopted three black children. And he spoke on racial reconciliation from a gospel-centered perspective. It was not a woke sermon. And yet we lost members of our congregation uh, because they took it as being woke. Because if you talk about racial reconciliation, apparently you're woke when no, not really. Politics breaks people's minds. You, you got to get out of it. But back to this Tim Alberta piece, I, I don't think it was helpful to have woven it the way he did with the internal Methodist politics. And also the fact that the churches with the biggest problem here are the congregationalist style independent churches without really denominational affiliation. And maybe there's a story there, but I think that story was missed. But also, don't drag politics into church, people. Just the gospel, please.
Now, I got to tell you about one of the Christian conservative organizations that is committed to the gospel and also to politics is Patriot Mobile, cell phone provider, patriotmobile.com slash Eric. You go there, you get free activation with Patriot Mobile, and they give a portion of their profits to the conservative movement. You can be a part of Patriot Mobile. You can take your business to Patriot Mobile, and as their profits grow, your ability to help the conservative movement grows through them. So you can contribute your own money to the causes you care about, the First Amendment cause, the Second Amendment cause, the pro-life cause, and know they're going to do it as well. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT. They've got 100% U.S.-based customer service. If you tell them I sent you, you get free activation. Again, it is patriotmobile.com slash Eric. They use the same cell towers everybody else uses. You don't have to worry about the coverage. You get great coverage, and you get a commitment to fight the causes you care about. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Go today. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. Uh, well, no reason to give you the phone number now, is there, because we've only got a few minutes left. I want to circle back to the story from the beginning, and it goes back to the president yesterday. There's no reason to play the clip again, but he was talking about the, the ultra-maga conservative wing of the party. The White House wants you to know that that wasn't in the teleprompter. He came up with it on his own, the, the ultra-super-maga I mean, I I just think that ultra mega conservative sounds better than Grandpa Dementia. I mean, when you're trying to do a branding game here, ultra mega sounds pretty cool. Um, it, it's kind of like the, the the love child of Optimus Prime and and. Uh, the Decepticons or something. I don't know. Voltron and Optimus Prime get together and they have Ultra Maga Man. <laughs> just I, I don't know. But his delivery was was it was it was so reserved. You know, Joe Biden has been in Washington for fifty years. He has seen the cycles of Washington. In nineteen eighty, the economy was so bad, Jimmy Carter lost to Ronald Reagan, and there were a group of senators who came in, the accidental senators of nineteen eighty. They were not expected to get elected. And they got elected. This is why a lot of Republicans are looking at the GOP field in 2022, thinking no matter how bad our candidates are, they can probably get elected. Well, they're not really worried about it because of what happened in 1980. And Joe Biden lived through that. He lived through the Republican Revolution of 1994, where after 40 years, the GOP took back the House. He lived through the 2002 election, where it was one of the very few midterm elections in American history where the incumbent president's party picked up seats. He lived through 2010 and the Tea Party. He lived through 2014 when the Republicans took the Senate. He also lived through 2018 and he lived through 2006 when the Democratic momentum picked up and they won. I listened to that speech of his yesterday. There was no passion. I mean, you think if he thinks the other side is going to be bad for America, he would have passion. The passion he had expressing his story about corn pop. And he didn't have it. He didn't have that passion. He had the passion of someone who just woke up from a colonoscopy. And it got me thinking, Joe Biden has been in Washington for as long as he has. He's seen the cycles. There's a feeling in politics, and I can't really describe it for you. And I mentioned this earlier. There's a feeling in politics when you've been in politics, even as long as I have, which in the grand scheme of things has not been that long, but you feel it. You know the cycle. This cycle that we're in feels like water inexorably being pulled out to sea into a tsunami. And the Democrats feel it, and the Republicans feel it. 
and they know the tsunami. That's why in 2020, all the polls came out and showed there was a Democratic wave coming. But to a lot of people on the ground around the country, it felt like a Republican wave as well. And it depended on where you lived. It really did. And in fact, it turned out there was a Republican surge because of the defund the police effort and, and the riots that after George Floyd. Uh, there was a Republican surge that built and it neutralized any wave the Democrats had. And the voters really just threw out of office all the people they didn't like. They threw out Trump because they thought he was a brain biblical donkey. They threw out the Democrats because they thought they were wackadoo progressives. And if you understand that's what happened and not that the election was stolen, 2020 is easily reconcilable in, in an honest way that it was about throwing out the people who just the public didn't like. Some of you will be mad at me saying that, but it's true. But this year feels different. It feels different regardless of where you are in the country. It feels, it, I should say, it feels the same way in every part of the country. It feels like the momentum is so with the Republicans right now, as long as they don't put up bags of crazy. And even then, bags of crazy may win. It happened in, in 1980, but it didn't happen in 2010 with Christine O'Donnell in Delaware. Candidates still matter. But it just feels like the water is unstoppably and inexorably being pulled out to sea into a tsunami that is coming. And Joe Biden has been through these cycles repeatedly over 50 years. He knows what they feel like. He has lived them. He's been in majorities. He's been in minorities. He's won races and he's lost races in the presidency. He ran several times and lost, didn't make it through primaries. He was there in the White House as vice president for Obama in the 2010 wave, in the 2014 wave. He knows what it feels like, and his lack of energy on stage yesterday talking about inflation suggests he does know it, and he feels it, and he's recognized the pattern. All right, I'll see you guys on Friday. I'm out of here tomorrow. Have a great day.